Jeremy, how are you today? I'm well. How are you, Damon? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I wanted to address something. I know we've been asked this question a few times from some of our listeners, and I want to highlight the fact that when we do this show, one of us has absolutely no idea what the topic is. That's true. Right? That's true. This time it's me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So... This, it's improv, baby. It's improv. It's improv. And and I think that's important just to say up front, because I am the one who knows the topic. And at the same time, I don't know the topic, but I'm going to try to introduce this anyway. Earlier in our series, we did a show where we talked about cover stories and secret gardens. And I actually want to take that one step further, meaning many of us don't share our secret gardens. But I'm curious whether we even know what's in that garden. And the reason I'm thinking about this is I did a workshop last week and I got some feedback from the people in the workshop. And I was struck on a deep level by how I am perceived and also just how off my ability to self-rate compared to the battery of assessments that I took. For example, some people in the course said that I was intimidating. And as another example, I self-rate myself as somebody that cares about other human beings, and I'm in the profession of helping others. And in the assessment battery, it said I had a very low concern for others. So I started thinking, what don't I know about myself? And so I started doing a little research on this, and I came across a, a thought leader, somebody who studies the wicked problems in our world. His name's Daniel Schmechtenberger. And he said something that really struck me, and, and I want to begin here. He said, sometime in my life, I'm going to realize that something that I know, and I'm absolutely sure I know now was wrong. He said, it's, it's going to happen because it's happened before. So there are many things, or at least a few that right now, each of us in our own construct of what we believe to be true, and also have like a deep meaning around may not necessarily be capital T true. And I really wanted to turn it to you and ask you to think a little bit about if this resonates at all around what might you possibly believe right now to be absolutely true that may indeed turn out not to be true. Love this topic. <laughs> I have had a birthday party that I threw for myself with the mandatory theme that everybody had to come with a story of a time they changed their mind and what they believed before and what they experienced and then what they believed after. And it's such a bedeviling question because as the writer Catherine Schultz 
notes in her book, Being Wrong, mm-hmm. you can't think I'm wrong. No one has ever thought I'm wrong because in the moment of any moment, you believe what you think. And if you think I'm wrong, there's a logical paradox. You can only think I was wrong, mm-hmm. but you can't think I'm wrong because if you think that, then you're right about being wrong and it turns on itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no way to evaluate the truth statement of that. It's like saying I'm lying. So we clearly have these blind spots that we can't see. And I guess a more physical manifestation of that, not a logic puzzle that I was thinking of just the other day, is our eyes. We see through our eyes. We have two cameras. Yet, <laughs> we combine this into one vision. We do not see double. Or if we see double, we consider that a major problem. But we are seeing double all the time. We are always smudging and somehow merging those two cameras into one thing that we say, oh, that's, that's what I see, even though there is no objective, even sight, if you think about the fact that you're getting it from two very close to each other on either side of the nose often, but <laughs> still different viewers even within ourselves. So I'm fascinated by this on that sort of high logic and low physical sense and everything in between. What can I help you explore when you say these assessments? Are you saying assessments you did on yourself where you thought, I'm a patient person, I'm a kind person, and you answered a series of multiple choice questions or rate from one to 10 your response in the situation and it was wrong? Or when you said a battery of assessments, you meant other people's view because they could be wrong too. And that doesn't mean you're right. (laughs) You could have both of you wrong about you. But I guess I want to just understand as a background where you're coming in from when you say you had this discordance. Yeah. Thank you for that. These are psychological assessments and they're measuring my personality traits, self-concept, and a few other areas. But we take the assessment without understanding the scoring and then we self-rate how on a scale of one to 10, how we feel categorically, we would place ourselves. And then after that, we get the psychological assessments in a document form, and and then we compare the two. And many of the times they were pretty close, but it was striking to me the stories I tell myself and certainly the ratings I was giving myself in a few key areas that I absolutely 100% would have believed with every cell of my body were completely askew. And so it got me wondering, and, and you're right, I take your point that just because the assessment said whatever it said doesn't mean it's true, but it just got me wondering how well do I actually know myself and do we need to know ourselves inside and out in this 100% category. And if if indeed we don't, then where is it okay to hedge and fudge? Where does it cross the line into being a somewhat non-productive and even destructive to have such a misread of how we actually are? 
I'll volunteer one of these self-assessments I took to. Mm-hmm. I have it on my desktop of my computer, so it's easy to pull up, and I'll look at a specific example. So this was an assessment called Saboteurs. Have you heard of it? No. It's a fun web-based thing. You get follow-up emails speaking to your specific saboteurs. I'm sure there's lots of courses you can click through. My niece recommended it to me after she and her roommates took it, and were similarly enchanted and bedeviled by the results. (laughs) (laughs) And I took it with my daughter. At the same time, I registered as Ron and she registered as as Ginny Weasley. (laughs) And so saboteurs, if you're listening, now you know who I really am. I've unmasked. (laughs) And some of them that came up as my saboteurs were things that made sense to me. Hyperachiever, hyperrational, restless, (laughs) pleaser, Hmm. stickler. But at the top of the list was controller. And in the middle of the list was victim. And those to me were interpersonal in a way that I hadn't recognized as saboteurs. I thought most of my gunk, junk, call it what you will, was internal. And controller suggests that I have a lot of issues with other people. And so does victim too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm flipping it on both ways. So I feel either a a marionette or I want to tighten the strings. And it certainly did make me reflect next time, next six times, next 10 times. I had a conversation with my daughter, with my wife, with my family that we do Zoom with. So my my parents and my sister, we have like a weekly family game night and my niece. When am I being a controller? When am I being a victim? <laughs> and mm-hmm. it made me hypervigilant, which is one of my other saboteurs <laughs> for that. But I, I found it useful. It was like, can you notice this? And then let it go to some degree. Can you loosen the reins on it? And I think by loosening the reins on it, I was really having it loosen the reins on me. Do I have to feel like I'm a victim once I know that I feel like I'm a victim? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think knowing it helps me loosen it and vice versa with controller, which actually rated much higher. So I'm victimizing others <laughs> mm-hmm. more than I'm feeling victimized. And I did find it useful. And I don't think the exact numbers or ratio even matter so much, but when we have words, and they may well ring true to our internal qualities. I think they help us identify when we're expressing that part of ourself. And then we can decide. Just being able to see yourself, I do think, is is liberating. And then you can decide what to do with it. But until you can see it, I think you're pretty limited. And you're going to be at the, the mercy of especially those hidden qualities that you don't even know you might want to work on to build because they might be positive qualities. Mm-hmm. Or you might want to work on to step away from if you feel like they're saboteurs. So without saboteur, would you have gone without doing this type of work? Would you have gone your whole life without knowing this? It's certainly possible. (laughs) (laughs) You could go a long time without knowing that much about yourself. And I find over and over again, there's the ouch 
in a conflict, and then there's the ouch underneath the ouch. And by that, I mean, for example, I could be frustrated with Chrissy, my wife. She's not being thoughtful. She's not considering me. She's not understanding my position. She's not sympathetic enough. And if I sit with that, as I was doing on Monday, so this is why this example came to mind, because <laughs> we were butting heads the week before, and I super mellowed out about it. But then I was like, where is this coming from? I realized there was actually a, a, a jealousy. And it was feeling like she was in a really good position going into potential travel that we were talking about. And that I felt less secure in my position. And I felt like she was going to be leaving on a high note and I needed to do more work to have a high note. My high note was a few beats ago on the music <laughs> score. And I also realized that she had probably been jealous of me because she was feeling really stressed and strained and at full capacity or beyond in the demands of work. And I had slack. And so she was jealous of that. So there was this mutual resentment that was expressing itself as you're thoughtless rather than I'm jealous. And once we got to that, it just let us dissolve the conflict and have a lot more sympathy and just shared exchange. And what are you worried about? What are you worried about? How are you great? How are you great? So to me, those are useful when you can do that deeper digging. Hmm. That's, that's powerful. And it's a, such a relevant story and one that probably most of us can connect to. I, I came across a, a great quote. It was like, it, it's not that people don't tell each other the truth. They don't tell enough of the truth to one another. And that strikes me as one of those situations where once you get to the, the core, the source, then you're not living by leaking out your feelings, even though you're saying something else. And I want to, I want to see if we can explore this, not so much just on a, an inter or intrapersonal level, but more on a societal level. If you hadn't noticed, there's a lot of tension in the air these days. And we are as a collective pretty fast to, to demonize one another and to just assume the worst from one another. So starting with this personal work, discovering and exploring more about what's going on within ourselves, which as you and I are both saying is something that had we not at least shined a light on it, we could have gone our whole lives. I could have gone my whole life being like a person that was intimidating other people, but felt like I was being a warm person and collaborator. So I guess up front, this is hard. It's hard work. We all have blind spots. But where I'm feeling even more concerned is with how hijacked many of us have become living in this information, like an algorithm society, where we all believe that 
access to information has never been more democratic. It's just pop open Google. You can learn anything about anything. But my fear is that we haven't spent much time processing information. If I don't know what information to use to develop my outlook and to see things clearly, Facebook's going to tell me and Google's going to tell me what I believe. So I wonder, just as a thought experiment, is it possible to think of some ideas to do what we were talking about doing with ourselves on a larger scale? How do you see society's ability to take a look individually and see through some of the tension and surface discrepancies that people seem to really be having with each other right now. I think the word and is important. We can keep ending things and saying the economy is so advanced and people are really suffering from food insecurity and there's more rights and freedoms than in any other country in the world. And we're holding refugee kids in cages. And there's a robust democratic tradition. And voting itself is under threat. And it's a beautiful day outside. And climate change is radically affecting livability over the next century. And I've got a pretty good life. I have so much to be grateful for. And I'm anxious and <laughs> I'm unhappy in this particular moment. And I'm not sure why. And I think to the degree that you can keep anding, you have a chance to see clearly and to find a level of comfort and connection. And I, I dare even say peace. Because I think the list of things that is true is quite long. And where we get in trouble is not when we believe things that are false only, but also when we limit the truth that we take in. And you talk about Google, you type in a few things and you get the whole internet narrowed to a single point, an answer. But I do think there's a lot more ending to do <laughs> of starting maybe with a single point, I'm anxious, or the weather's nice, or I'm worried about the election, and having it expand rather than having that single point get sharpened even further <laughs> in our reinforcing bubbles, whether those are external and algorithmic or internal and our own biases and blindness. So I think it's about taking more in. So mm. my, my answer is and. I love that. That's powerful. I find that I've been really triggered a lot lately by others. And when that happens, I feel hijacked. I feel that I do, I'm not using the word and, I am putting this other person in a box and there's zero benefit of the doubt. 
And that's really disconcerting. And it makes me feel like that not only am I probably doing that, they're probably doing this to me. I'm also doing this to myself. So I like that bridge word of and to expand and open up. I think that can be really helpful to be able to see the humanity. I mean, if I can't see and know everything about myself, I guess one thing that feels liberating about that is that I can now give other people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they can't see about them, them their own selves as well. And, I, and not in a patronizing way, but just in a way that creates a little bit of space. So I've been experimenting a little bit with trying to see in this polarized time what both sides are saying. So for example, I've been going to a very liberal site, Mother Jones, and then I've also been going to a far right site, Breitbart, and just trying to not hold a position when I get there. And it's very difficult to do. And there's still a part of me inside that doesn't want to subscribe to this. But I think that to have any potential chance for bringing people together, that there needs to be more compassion for where people are coming from. And it, it made me think a bit about the Socratic method, basically finding logic from all positions if possible and arguing a point from many different perspectives. Have you ever taken part or taken any courses where you had to do that exercise? I think I've had lectures maybe in college that had that approach and I've certainly had it or had it done to me as a parent or as a child. <laughs> and I like the part where you're asking questions. I think going back to the news sites, it's a challenge to reconcile them rather than to end them and to say both of these exist. People are really invested in both of these perspectives. People are really moved by this. There's either the explicit worry, the ouch that's being expressed on each of these pages, and then there's all the underlying ouches, whether that's I, I want control, I fear despotism, mm -hmm. I want to be able to make a living, I feel like if I give up this to them, I'll be under forever and we'll go in the wrong direction. I want my kids to be able to succeed. The verses of the sites, I think it's hard to reconcile, but where it can be reconciled is almost the the two screens. They're, they are both happening, just like what we're doing and all our concerns in this country are happening. There are over 200 million people in Nigeria that are doing whatever they're doing in Nigeria and worried about what's happening there. And these are full, complete, real lives <laughs> mm -hmm. just as much as are trees in the forest, as are octopi <laughs> in the ocean, as are whatever's happening in galaxies far, far away. They're all happening at once. So from that big perspective, of course, Breitbart and 
Mother Jones seem almost identical. They're just weird words put for descendants of apes in a particular political band in a particular country at a particular time period. And the root emotions that are underlying the actions are probably similar, but there's the ussing and the theming. And it it all makes sense, but it's we know that there's both us and them. And in fact, you can't have us without, without them. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to get into mushy nothingisms, but I don't know if we need to solve the conflict, I guess is all I'm saying. And the Socratic method, we can ask questions, definitely. But I don't know if we have to advance or get to a, an answer there either. If we can just see a little bit more at a time, for me, that's that's calming. Like, this is something that's happening now, and things have happened in the past, and will happen in the future. And this is something I'm feeling, and someone in the same house is feeling other things, and someone across the street, and someone in the city, and the state, and the country, and other countries, and for all I know, other galaxies. Yeah, in a sense, creating more space and creating more equanimity around the moment affects how I am living and perceiving. Once we're hijacked, then we have even more blind spots. And if I'm thinking about this in terms of priorities, that has to be very high on the list. And, and I think using and creating more space, understanding that all these things that you had mentioned are all happening at the same time is calming and it's, it's spacious, which helps to keep my nervous system in check. And that is, I guess, priority number one. And I see a lot of people who have been hijacked. And I see a lot of clients of mine that have been hijacked and the stories just start to spin out of control, but they vehemently believe with all of their being that this is true and what they're saying is true. I think that that is a, a real concern for our ability to see one another, but even to see ourselves when we always have to start with with self and do our best to make sure that we're as clear and honest and not that doesn't mean perfect but clear and honest as possible and i i think that the breitbart mother jones example for me is not so much that i'm looking to make sense of either side it's it's that it's uh, a training ground to expose myself to things that that can trigger me or at least that they can narrow me to long-held beliefs assumptions and all of those other things and so i think what i'm circling around here is this exposure therapy to become more comfortable being uncomfortable and to be more comfortable being uncertain. Do you know the Pareto principle where essentially this Italian man was noticing in his garden that 
80% of the haul was coming from 20% of the crop. And this became known as a, a natural phenomenon. That's a natural thing. And business really took that on. And I started thinking about it in terms of my own self. Do I really need to know 100% of myself? <laughs> Do I? Do you? Okay. So knowing yourself, let's go to what's underneath that. If you felt you were fine and everyone else felt you were fine, angst about knowing yourself wouldn't emerge. Just like if there was no political tumult, if that happens not to be its interest area, you probably wouldn't go to either of these websites. They're not the only two websites out there. You might go to a website that's just about pandas or a website that's about nebulae or a website that's about blueberry cobbler cooking. And those are all things that you can do quite deep dives on and spend months, years <laughs> exploring. Mm -hmm. So why the concern with do I know myself? It's, I think, an effort to feel okay or get right and either to say, no, I, I am fine. I am fine. Like I thought I was, or I'm not fine, but I have a program and a plan and I'm going to get to knowing myself. It's mm -hmm. getting to a, an answer and a story and I'll just skip to it and say, you are fine and you're really trying your best and you're doing the best you can and it's a lot and my 80-20 ratio is also just that you're going to hear negative comments or criticism at like 80% compared to 20% of the positive even if you get way more positive feedback usually I think my wife, Chrissy, told me there's something like that in giving feedback as a manager. It's like you need to balance maybe five pieces or we'll say four to one to mm -hmm. keep the 80-20, four pieces of positive feedback for each criticism just to have it be heard and registered and have people not feel like you've taken them out by their legs. And I don't know where this particular feedback fell. I'm sure and i hope that you got positive feedback too and of course i can say as is true that whoever gave the negative feedback a they might not have used exactly the words that you used in rephrasing it to maybe sharpen the point and make it more critical <laughs> and b who knows what was going on in their day right we know all these studies of judges give out way harsher sentences when it's closer to lunchtime, right before they go to lunch, then like after they go to lunch. Mm -hmm. So who knows what stressed people taking your class to get a better grip on things are going through, except we can be sure it's pretty darn lot because we know what just everyone's going through. So people that take the extra effort to de-stress, well, they've got even more going on probably. So. I guess I just say that to say, what if we start with a solid basis or a capital T truth of you 
are okay and you're pretty good and you're doing your best and you want to be better and you want to know yourself more, especially to get more enjoyment, to better serve people. I mean, those are really cool motives too. And from that point, there's to me a level of peace and connection, peace and saying, gosh, why do I have to just pick any little thing I can to hurt myself with <laughs> that people say or that I think or that happens to me? And connection and just saying, and everyone's doing that, or just so many people are having that experience of having trouble being okay with themselves because they keep getting these messages that the world's not okay or other people aren't comfortable. And so we try to explain that and we we don't have a lot of people to point to besides ourselves ultimately. So we blame ourselves. Why can't I be happier? Why can't I make other people happier? But I think finding that acceptance of ourselves is the good start to then radiate that acceptance outwards. Mm, so good. So good. Thank you for that. It reminds me of uh, a principle of self-talk. Typically, we, we say, if I was speaking to myself, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I'm trying my best. And that is powerful to say, and certainly on the right track. But it's even more powerful when we say to ourselves, you are okay. Mm. You, you are trying your best. You are doing pretty good. And the distinction is using the I, our ego likes to latch onto that. And so we're really not getting past the gate within our brain. And the system that really needs to hear all that is the limbic system that does get hijacked when we're seeing all this terrible news and when we're out of control. So using you statements can be a really powerful thing. I do a similar thing, but in a different way when it's critical. So you're talking about, just to summarize, in a positive, self-positive affirmation, going from I to you, first person to second person. Yes. And what I try to do when I'm having problems or issues is I go from a first person or second person to a third person. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, a person is having this feeling. A person is upset right now. A person is scared. A person is confused. A person is frustrated. And there is a natural sympathy and like, well, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I happen to be that person. Mm. This is like, I've revealed it all. I'm Ron Weasley. I'm a person. <laughs> all my secret identities are, are being laid bare. But for me, it's so helpful because it's like, well, yeah, probably a lot of people are having this happen. <laughs> a person, I just feel like opens me to a playing deck with, 8 billion cards and me or I, it just feels like a universe of one. So I find that calming. So I'll, I'll put that out there as a, as a paired exercise. Mm, that's beautiful too. I love that. So let's see if we can think a little more practical about our day-to-day -day existence and maybe our listeners can try this as well with that 80, 20, 
principle in mind. Scan your life and what are you doing currently 20% of the time where you're actually getting 80% of what outcome you want? And then to flip that, what are you doing 80% of the time where you're only getting 20% of the fulfillment or satisfaction? And do the same thing with the negatives. Right. What are you doing that's 20% of your time but giving you 80% of your grief? Yeah, exactly. And for me, it's a lot of media. So it's funny you said to know yourself, you were doing this immersion therapy, mm -hmm. exposure therapy. And I have had a similar exercise where I've done media fasts. Mm. I did that in January. I did that in August. And it's not a know-nothingism. It's a certain realism and saying, I'm getting so provoked and triggered by this. And I'm getting so many stories that I feel are mediating my experience. They're separating me from my lived day-to-day -day reality. And maybe that's good. I'm getting access to voices and experiences and perspectives I wouldn't otherwise, but it's so unrelenting. I need to have a grounding. I need to recalibrate. And so I subtract the podcasts. I subtract the websites. I subtract the newspapers, magazines, radio, Netflix, Twitter, anything I don't need to do just for work or live. And it's very uncomfortable. It's its own exposure therapy. I'm exposing myself to me. <laughs> and there's like this tension and this gap and this boredom and this itchiness that I feel. And then I readjust and I'm like, oh, I can make dinner while I'm making dinner. I don't have to listen to the radio while I'm making dinner. And I'll have a sense of the dying light outside the window and the vegetables being chopped and what my daughter is saying to me <laughs> <laughs> that I was pretty much tuning out or <laughs> had something else literally plugged into my ears at the same time. And I can feel lonely and I can feel antsy and I can be bored and I can stay with that and see what happens next. And then I start noticing things like the moon. You start noticing things like, is it a full moon <laughs> or a new moon? In a way I wouldn't have, you see, oh, this flower is about to bloom. It bloomed. It fell. It died. The deer are out. The deer are gone. It's frosting on the windows. And these can feel really minor, but they're, they're real. They're present. And maybe I've said this to you before in a previous show. I can't remember. But to me, the cool thing in that media fast or those detoxes or whatever you want to call them is I've come to the realization like the stories you follow, follow you. Hmm. So whatever you're clicking and following online or in TV or radio or whatever, it's with me throughout the rest of the day. And it's very present in mind and it keeps triggering me. And vice versa, if I'm following a conversation with my daughter or how the weather is changing or nature or my own moods, I'm able to follow them and I'm able to see, yeah, here's where I have my ups. Here's where I have my downs. Here's what gets me excited. Here's something that 
sounds so dumb, but it makes me smile if I just sit with it. And I think that is part of knowing yourself in a positive way. I don't know how that rates with your exposure therapy, if you feel it's equal and opposite or totally different, but I definitely wanted to share that because it's not to say don't know anything or hear anything, but I think that's a really good example of some of these things that can be 20% or, or less of our life that have such an outside influence on our mood and perspective and our perspective on other people too. Yeah, I think you're touching on an exposure that is one of the more difficult things for, for human beings, and that's exposure to our own self. A breakdown in the book, Stealing Fire, I might have mentioned this in a former show as well, that we spend about, as a society, $4 trillion a year getting out of our own heads. And so I can resonate with I'm talking about exposure to left and right and sites and algorithms and all that. And you're talking about exposure to you. And that's as simple as that sounds. It's probably one of the more radical exposures that we can have. And the room I'm in. And the room. And the air outside and things within a few hundred yards at a time. And again, maybe it's like, oh, that's that's so trivial or that's shallow compared to the world. But what is our scope of action too? I mean, I just realized, is all this going to change how I vote? Is it going to change where I volunteer? Is it going to change where I give money? Is it going to change the support I give friends or the issues I'm involved in? And to some degree, yes, because... I wouldn't know about things unless I know about them, but I find the important things come through. <laughs> and meanwhile, it's so depleting to be quote unquote informed and up to date that I think that really reduces my scope of action and my energy. And I, I think that's what we're finding with people. We're just feeling so beleaguered and a certain hopelessness. And I, I think we need to have a freshness and energy to give just to participate positively. And I don't know if that's about being more informed or being more at a certain level of peace and presence. That's a beautiful phrase, scope of action. I really like that. And I think what your practice does, this fast, media fast, and you, as you say, and the big things get through, but it also, when you say that, it makes me feel like there's a deeper connection to your own intuition, which is at heart where we start to construct our value system, what we care about. That's typically not something that happens in our head. It's more in our heart and our gut. And to be able to have that a couple hundred yards radius, see the moon cycle, feel and cook the vegetables, hear your daughter can really be a powerful way to reconnect to what is it that I actually value. And I think that inside out type of practice can be so grounding and it resonates with me. And it reminds me that some of what I'm exploring here with you is to get back to the basics. My initial question about knowing myself a hundred percent is less important when I maybe know 
in a deeper sense, what I value and what contributions that I can make in this scope of action that I can touch. That's a really powerful way to frame it. So thank you for that. Try the a person thing too with the example that you started with. A person took an evaluation and first that person assessed his qualities and the evaluation had some differences. And then he got feedback from some people that reinforced his sense that I'm not sure if I'm assessing myself right. And then a person started to worry. Am I a jerk? <laughs> uh, uh, do I not even know myself? Do I need to do a whole bunch more exploring? And a person went online and a person started saying, I, I got to just get a whole bunch more perspectives and see how they trigger me and take notes. And a person wasn't sure what to do with all that. And a person got even more stressed out. And then a person talked to another person and tried to see if that other person was going through the same thing. And the other person was like, yeah, I, I have. I'm not in that right now, though. And here's some takes I have. And the other person felt a little bit better and more calm. And I don't mean to take your story from you or, or tell it, and I, I may have told it wrong, but it just seems so natural. <laughs> it seems almost universal. It seems quite sympathetic. It also just seems temporary in the duress when I put it in those terms. I love that. I love that. I will try that. And, and I experienced hearing from a person about a person in, in an emotional detached way, not checked out, not, uh, head in the sand, but just detached from the trigger. And it felt universal. And that felt really good. A person liked that. Some of this I stole from a funny thing that my sister does, I realized. She has a Twitter account called Person Weekly. <laughs> it's riffing off Us Weekly. <laughs> and what she does she replaces the names of celebrities in headlines with the word person. <laughs> so here are some examples. How person became the most beautiful woman. <laughs> person is having a ton of sex. Person is working on plan B after her arrest. Person reveals why she has been so tired lately. Person and person exchange flirty tweets. Ooh. Person is taking a year off from acting to focus on feminism. Person and person share happiest kiss, make you believe in love again, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And to me, that does bring it all together in a beautiful, very accessible celebrity tweet headline way. You can do it in watching the news. And I recommend that too. A person is looking at this website. And on this website, a person has put this news about a person saying this and that. And I just think that is maybe the right level to engage if you're looking for, for, for deeper knowledge. 
you're like, this is what, oh, this is what we're doing. This is, this is what we, we, we persons are doing this week, person weekly, just person weekly it all up. <laughs> and I think you'll, you'll be more abused and more insightful and, and more self-aware. I love it. Person loves that. Wow. Well, I feel better. Uh, Good. That was a really helpful exercise for me. I appreciate all of your insight. How should we wrap this up, Jeremy? Okay. Usually I bring the material you have no knowledge of, and then I ask you to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. And now it's all on me. A person has the roles reversed. I think everyone should take a few deep breaths in and out in and out in and out and then say how can I be nice to myself in this moment? How can I be nice to myself in the next few minutes? What's something nice I can do to me today? Because I bet if I do something nice to myself today, for myself, I bet I'll feel a little more comfortable with myself and I bet I'll open up and I'll tell myself some of the secrets that I've been holding back because I wasn't sure how they'd be received. And maybe I'll get understanding and connection. And this inside piece of me and my conscious self can have a better relationship. And we can help other people have better relationships. And it'll be sweet. So let me just start by making the first kind gesture. It's just something nice I can do to surprise myself. That's my suggestion for increasing self-knowledge. What do you think? Too corny or you're, you're ready to get yourself flowers? Chocolate. I'm going to start with some tea. <laughs> Thank you for that. Anything you'd add? I think that's beautiful. I think if we turn our attention towards ourselves and do something nice for ourselves that that ripples out from there. So it's a great place to go. And a person did something kind for themselves. Beautiful. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for bringing these things. All advice is autobiographical as ever. And I thank everyone for listening to us and joining us and sharing your self-knowledge and your total gaps where you're confused and alone come join us we're all we're all people trying to make it out figure it out please share the show and join us next time we'll keep the conversation going and hopefully the tea brewing too <laughs> thanks y'all stimulus and response is hosted by damon valentino and jeremy n smith and produced by matt mullins at black rooster productions Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive. <laughs>